Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful years. On this week's episode, your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter are going to be talking to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions. So, wait, what? Oh, yes. That intro was from your world-famous TV star, Wyatt Teeter. If you were watching, If you were watching the Camping World Bowl, um, Iowa State versus Notre Dame, you saw Wyatt um, after the first half of Michael Petway sideline catch. Wyatt Teeter on TV getting uh, the crowd pumped up after that big catch. He is now a famous TV star, Wyatt Teeter. Very famous. I was there at the game to bring you exclusive coverage for the 8311 cast. That was my sole reason there, right? Got a press Except pass you, and everything. You forgot to do an Instagram takeover of the entire day. Oh, why didn't that would have been a really good idea, actually? Kyle, why didn't have, you give him that idea before me? today? <laughs> yeah. Because generally my best yeah, ideas you have come to say. after the fact. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Oh, man. I completely forgot about that. that because was... that's what I did when I went to the Big 12 tournament last year for basketball. Yeah. That would have been very, very smart of you to do I, that. I would have been all in. Yeah. Do you know who wasn't all in during that game? Our football team. Yeah. The Iowa State Cyclones. Yeah. As far as the game goes, that just that wasn't a, wasn't a good game to be a Cyclone fan. I mean, you it started out as the defense plays great, forces Notre Dame. What, what was that? A three and out on the first possession, right? And then, um, right, and then just all of it was. The, I don't. I'm not sure if it was a three and out, but we forced them to punt on their first possession. The right. defense looked good, but then on the punt, while returning it, Tariq Milton gets stripped, and Notre Dame recovers it. This was a Notre Dame team that was plus 15 in turnover dis- differential no, on the season. Not just turnover. That was plus 15 in just fumbles. Oh, just fumbles. That's yes. true. It was just fumbles. So they know how to strip the ball. They were actually talking. The only thing that I liked out of the commentators about this game, I hated them. Absolutely hated listening okay. to them. They kept at least four or five times they mentioned the fact that Notre Dame hadn't won 10 games in two consecutive seasons since the 80s like they were deprived. Do you know how much I would like to win 10 games once? Yeah. When was the last time Iowa State won 10 games? I don't care that they haven't done it twice in a row since the 80s. Shut up. I don't know. After that rant, you look up when the last time Iowa State won 10 games in a season. I'm literally in the middle of it. So that's like – but the one good thing that they did actually mention is how – um, their head coach's name, Brian Kelly, uh, how he actually and the entire staff teach the, um, their defense and their entire team that when, you, when there's a ball on the ground, you don't just jump on it. You like grab the ball, pull it into your body, and then tuck and roll. And that's how they're so good at not only getting fumble recoveries, but then they're, they punch at the ball and they swipe and they rip at it. 15 or plus 15, and now after this bowl game, plus 17 turnover differential or in just fumble recoveries and fumbles uh, on the season is just absolutely like astronomical in my mind. 
But and that's something that the Cyclones did. They put the ball on the ground. They didn't recover it. And they gave Notre Dame two extra possessions in this game that they shouldn't have had. With And one of them was Brock trying to play recess football, just throw holding the ball out all willy-nilly and loses control of it on a drive where the Cyclones actually looked good, um, trying to stay in the game. And then Notre Dame goes down. The defense does play well and holds them to a field goal in that situation. But like... Like this defense has seen most of the season, the defense saw too much time on the field because of the offense's inability to maintain long drives or turn the ball over too quickly. So this defense got tired and was exhausted and gassed by halftime, and that showed in some of the long plays that Notre Dame was able to break off in the second half. All in all, it was just a very miserable game to watch. As a Cyclone fan, it was bad for the brand of Iowa State because Iowa State hadn't lost a game by more than, what, was it 14 points more, since yeah, 2017? 14. Yeah, since Texas beat us 24-10 to 10 in Ames. It's, it was bad for the look of Iowa State. It wasn't Iowa State football. Not a close game by a, by a wide margin. Um and we just saw a lot of ineptitude from this team that I felt like culmin- was the culmination of this entire season, really, is everything that went wrong was magnified against a team that didn't make any mistakes. They were talking about it on the broadcast. D- did you see any glaring mistakes that Notre Dame had in that game at all? Did the the one false start down uh, near the red zone? Yeah, early in and the that game. was that, that was pretty much it. They didn't hurt themselves with penalties. They didn't hurt themselves with uh, turnovers. They maintained possession of the ball. They played smart. Their special teams was fantastic. Their kicker, yeah, their also, kicker had an to, awful kick. Hey, Shane won, but it still went through. Right. Well, shout out to Joe Vera, Iowa State's punter. He played a phenomenal game. That That is true. Iowa State punting has been susceptible in the past with um, some of our previous kickers, but... Iowa State special teams was just a disaster in general this year. What happened to Kenny Nwangu? Didn't we go into the year on this season preview saying that Kenny Nwangu was going to be one of the best kick returners in the nation? Mm-hmm. He fair caught was, pretty much every kick. He fair caught pretty much every kickoff this year. What happened? Yeah, we, like I'm not saying he never ran one out. Right. Why? What happened to Kenny Nwangu that made him ineffective enough that it was the better option to fair he catch got, every time? He injured his shoulder during the season, so I wonder if they were uh, nervous about ball security on kickoffs. If he still wasn't fully recovered from his shoulder injury. Yeah, I don't know. But, it just, I mean, but if, at it that point, you like- have to you have to take things out. I'm gonna get off track here. McCole Hardman for the Chiefs this weekend took a punt four yard or a kickoff four yards deep in the end zone, scored a 104 yard kickoff return or touchdown for a touchdown. The Cyclones never had that opportunity because they never did that. They never had the ability to have those game changing plays or potentially get shorter fields. It seemed like every single drive the Cyclones had to make was a 75-yard drive, an 80-yard drive, because the defense was never able to catch interceptions. I I was going to say, well, they didn't have any – maybe once there was an opportunity to catch an interception, but, I mean, 
There was there, once. I was gonna say it went through Marcel Spears' hands, and then Johnson or Johnson coming behind could have had it too. But yeah, that but that was really the only chance. But anyway, yes, the Cyclones lost the field position battle by an incredible margin, and that's what that's what did him in that game, right? The average field position, um, right? I mean, so the Cyclones I think started once at their own thirty-three. And then late in the game, they started around midfield once, if I remember correctly. But other than that, everything was the twenty inside the twenty-five. Yeah. For the right, you eventually. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame's punter was great too. He was pinning us inside the ten. Yeah. I mean, we lost the field position game. We lost the details. I'm still a little confused about that fourth and one. Ohio State chose to go for it, which I think was the correct decision. Right? If you're playing to win that game, you've got to go for it there. But why are you lined up in the shotgun on fourth and six inches? You can't be lined up. Yeah. In, right? it, wor- it, worst case, you got to be in the pistol. If, you, if Brock Purdy is incapable of lining up under center, at least put him in the pistol so that the running back can get ahead of steam before he's getting the ball from the running or from the quarterback as opposed to be standing still when he picks up that football. I do not get being in the shotgun at uh, – at fourth and six inches. If you that, just put Purdy under center, he can sneak it. That also irritated me. And it was fourth and inches on our side, on Iowa State's side of the 52. Yeah, but so I mean, we you still got to go for it. There. You got to go for it. But if right you're going to go for it, go with go with a different package. At least, at least pistol, not shotgun. Yeah. Or do some eye formation instead. But I don't know. P- Pistol, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is that instead of the quarterback and the running back in the shotgun being lined up next to each other, um, it's sort of more like an I formation, except the quarterback is like halfway in the shotgun, so he's only like a yard or two behind the center, and then the running back is behind the quarterback at the same depth he would be at if they were both in the shotgun. That's the pistol, by the way. If you watch a lot of NFL football and your NFL team has a fullback, which is somewhat uncommon this day and age it's where the fullback would line up yeah yeah so get rid of the fullback put the quarterback where the fullback is that's the pistol the yeah. baltimore ravens run it a lot if you watch the chiefs football, the chiefs run the it occasionally and the san francisco 49ers run it a lot with kyle use check well no not not with a fullback i'm talking about i'm talking about the pistol. oh just the pistol yeah oh the ravens okay. run the pistol yeah they do sometimes they run the pistol with robert griffin the third out there I mean, only when the game's over. We're getting off track. We need to start getting back on track. We'll stop talking about the Baltimore Ravens. Anyway, do you have anything else to talk about about that bowl game? I don't know. Not really. I just I want to get on to a season review here because I just want to get your thoughts. We I know you and I talked about this a little bit on or off uh, off this podcast, but do you think this Cyclone season is a failure with all the buildup, all the hype, all the hoopla that was kind of surrounding this team at the beginning of the year. Ranked AP uh, number 21 to start the season, into the AP top 25 twice this season. Do you think this season was a failure? Do I think it was a failure? No. I don't think for a program like Iowa State – who has never won 10 games, by the way. I looked it up. Never in the history. Nine games quite a few times, especially back in, you know, like uh, the early 1900s. But never 10 games. Never since 1895 has an Iowa State football team won 10 games. 
So when was the last it, time a Cyclone team won nine games? The last was two thousand. Oh, okay, so it's been a hot second from that as well. But continue. Um. Yeah, not a failure considering what this team was, or considering what this team was just two years ago or three years ago. Right, twenty sixteen, three and nine, the first year in Matt Campbell. The season opens with a loss to UNI. Right, and now you're talking about a team that was preseason top 25. I mean, a team that pushed an Oklahoma team that went to the playoff to the brink, that almost beat their rival in Iowa. Right, I don't think this season was a failure. I think this season, um, I think this season showed what it takes to go from an average program to a to a good high level program. I think this season shows the difference between a program like, let's pick Minnesota. We're going to pick Minnesota for lack of a better program where they're consistently average, right? They'll win Mm -hmm. six games. They'll win seven games. They'll go to bowl games, ho-hum, whatever. And a team like Iowa, right, where they're consistent. They've got a culture. They're consistently going to big bowl games, consistently competing for conference championships. I know we don't like Iowa, but that's a solid program. You have to admit that Iowa is a solid program. I think this season showed the difference between what it's like to be an average program and a solid program, and it's the details, right? It's the details that we didn't execute that made the difference between this being a seven. It was the best seven-win team in the nation. I'm willing to say that this Iowa State team is the most talented seven-win team in the nation. I'd sure. say I'd I'd roll with you on most talented. I don't know if I'd say that they're well, the best right, seven win team. Right. That that's why I corrected myself because the results the results prove what they prove. But I think they're the most talented seven win team in the nation. And now it's just getting those details right, making those details work consistently. That's what's going to bring this program from just okay to actually being a successful year after year program where you're in the top 25 consistently competing for conference titles. It's details. It's not running over your punt returner late in the game. It's not falling behind by 20 points on the road. It's not right. Like you did against Baylor and Oklahoma, right? It's It's, not false. It's not those false, those crucial false start penalties that kill drives that seem to happen all season long. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's those things. I mean, this team has come a long way, and I wouldn't call it a failure because they were just details away. It's not like they had a disappointing seven-win season where it was obvious they didn't belong on the field with some teams, right? They belonged on the field with everybody they played, except maybe you could make an argument against Notre Dame. But they belonged on the field against everybody they played, which is is a success, right? The season maybe didn't live up to expectations, but it's certainly not a failure because you saw the potential of this team. And that's what makes it frustrating, and that's what makes it seem like you want to call it a failure because you could see what this season could have been. It just yeah. never materialized because those details just didn't happen. Right? So like you, like you just said, I think this season is not a failure. I think it is one gigantic frustration. Mm-hmm. We saw what this team could be. Give, give, give me four plays, right? Give me four plays, and this team is in the college football playoff, right? That's how close this team was. Baylor misses that field goal. We make that two-point conversion against Oklahoma. 
Brock Purdy doesn't throw the late interception against Oklahoma State, and we don't run over the punt returner against Iowa. And this team might be yeah. in the college football playoff. That's how close Would, this team is. Although, with the way that LSU steamrolled Oklahoma, do, did we want to be in the college football but, playoff? But, but I'm just saying, right? Yeah. That's why this season was frustrated, because you were that close. Or at least a New Year's Six Bowl, right. which would have been a huge stepping stone for this program. When it all boils down at the end, Iowa State, when you look at Matt Campbell's overall record at Iowa State, he's a 500 coach. So it's not like it's not like Matt Campbell has had really the success, I guess, that Matt Rule has had when you compare Baylor right away, how they all of a sudden just leapfrogged out of from a one win team to bowl eligible six and six, seven and six team, and then getting to a ten plus win season this year. Like Matt Campbell hasn't had that success, but he's also working at a with a school in the middle of Iowa. He's recruiting talent. There's a lot of talent coming in for next year. They're getting players like a receiver who is highly recruited by Georgia, chose Iowa State over it. The brand is out there. The name is out there. The team is out there. People are taking notice. I think at some point this is all going to come together and this team will get to where I think they want to be and where Matt Campbell wants to be before he ever leaves is to that Big 12 championship game at least. I think that's what they want to prove. I just hope that they can figure out how to put all these details together. They're getting the players. They they don't need four-star, five-star recruits. They're getting the players to be able to compete and beat the teams like Texas and be competitive with Oklahoma. It is what it is, though. It's just those details that lost us those games. Yeah. And all those details were magnified against Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. But just a couple more Cyclone football notes. I know Wyatt is telling us they have to move on. Um, personally, uh, I remember last year there was a ton of talk that Matt Campbell's going to leave. I don't think that materializes this year. I think there are a lot of other coaches that are going to generate that NFL and uh, higher football buzz. Namely, namely Matt, Rule Matt Rule and Lincoln Riley. Right. Um, so I don't think Matt Campbell's going away. And then uh, after the bowl game, Charlie Kohler tweeted that he is not leaving. You remember last week I told you that uh, they had uh, – looked at NFL feedback for him. He announced on Twitter after the bowl game that he is for sure coming back for next season. So Brock Purdy and Charlie Kohler will continue passing or throwing, playing, doing stuff next year. It'll be good. Anyway, moving on after that eloquent end to Cyclone football to Cyclone men's basketball, and we're just going to move right on through Cyclone men's basketball because they didn't play a game. So we're in the exact same spot as we were last week. So that's still the have, end of Cyclone men's they, basketball. Well, they still have one more one more uh, non-conference game this this week before they start conference play at TCU. Yes, what is it, Florida A&M or Florida International? Florida A&M, I think. Minnesota played one of them, and Iowa State played the other, and I lost track of which one was which. So I think it's A&M, yeah. Anyway, moving on to the other super exciting thing that happened this weekend. Week 17 in the NFL. There were a ton of great it games was and wild. Great stories in the NFL. First and foremost, the, pa- the Patriots. Can I talk they, about they, this? Yeah, talk about it. Go for it, Kyle. Okay. So if you were watching it, like, okay, so if only if you're a Chiefs fan, I guess, you were watching the broadcast where Kevin Harlan was calling the game uh, for CBS, for the Chiefs. Um, versus the Los Angeles uh, Chargers. But at the end of the game, he was calling 
both the Patriots game and the Chiefs game at the same time. The Chiefs scored a touchdown, and then he had the game up, and he was calling the Dolphins play-by-play as uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the game-winning touchdown to Mike Jasicki from the four-yard line against the Patriots. Somehow, Miami goes in to Foxborough, knocks off New England when uh, it's it's Miami's defense that gets the defensive touchdown this week against New England rather than uh, the New England defense getting the defensive touchdown. Miami goes in and wins, knocks New England not only out of the uh, two seed to get the first round by in the playoffs, but they drop to the three seed and that bumps the Chiefs up into the two seed. That tiebreaking win in Foxborough uh, a couple weeks ago was huge for the Chiefs uh, coming out of that. Now the Chiefs get that extra week to get rested and get healthy now that they had three injuries in the game against LA. One of them was super crucial. Uh, Our rookie free safety Juan Thornhill uh, went down with a season-ending ACL injury, which is bad. But Tyron Matthew has been the MVP of this defense all year. But the Chiefs get that critical first round by, um, and it increased their chances um, of making it to the AFC championship game from 27% to 70%. Um, And overall, just that extra rest is good for the team. And most notably, they stay away from having to play Tennessee in the divisional round uh, in week two as Tennessee got the sixth seed. I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was just extraordinary how the Patriots lose at home to a four-win, now a five-win Miami Dolphins team. I, I don't a team that they the team that Miami blew out in the second week of the season. New England blew out. Or New England blew out Miami in the second week of the season mm-hmm. in Miami. Yeah. I mean I was would think that they were like I don't know. I had some conspiracy theory thought up that in my head that just doesn't make any sense, but it kind of makes a little bit of sense. Like they thought they had the first round by locked up and they were trying to lose. So it would look, oh, well, they lost to the Dolphins. They don't really care. They're saying no chance. And then teams overlook them and then they beat teams. I don't know. That just seems like a Patriots type thing to, to do. But I mean, yeah. But uh, they should have seen the Chiefs score and knew that they didn't have it wrapped up. I don't know, For a while, I don't know. Chiefs- because because all of the Kansas City Chiefs fans went wild when they saw that the Dolphins scored because they all knew what it meant. Yeah. For a while, it looked like the Chiefs were going to, in the first half, were going to lose that yeah. game too. Well, I, I, that, I, I, it was a crucial interception by Tyron Matthew to close out the first half that yeah. really helped propel that team going into the second. And then that, as I alluded to earlier in the uh, podcast, that 104-yard kickoff return by... Nicole Hardman was a catalyst to propel the Chiefs to the victory um, mm-hmm. against the Chargers in the final game. But for the final game in a game that meant nothing to L.A., they really played with heart in that game. And they kind of exposed a few areas that the Chiefs need to shore up before they go into the playoffs. And that's if they pass it to the running back out of the backfield, the Chiefs can't really stop it. So at least we learned that much. So, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so that, along with the Titans' win over the uh, Houston Texans, Texans, boy, I almost called them the Houston Oilers, who um, were 
who were without uh, DeAndre Hopkins and uh, Deshaun Watson in that game. Yeah, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, not good. Anyway, um, yeah, the Titans beat them to lock up the sixth seed. That locked. Uh, that finished up the AFC playoff picture. You have Baltimore, uh, the one seed who is locked in there. The Chiefs slid up to the two with the Patriots falling down to the three. The Texans are the four. The Bills are the five. And the um, sixth seed will be the Tennessee Titans. Um, so you'll have Tennessee at New England um, Saturday, 7 o'clock Central-ish um, in the AFC. And then you'll have Buffalo at Houston in the 3 o'clock-ish game on Saturday. Both well, the, AFC the AFC games playoff. are on Saturday. Yep. Yes. Um, the three games, the three biggest games in the NFC, uh, first, the Eagles did what everyone expected them to do after they beat the Cowboys last week when they knocked off the Giants to clinch the NFC East and the fourth. This game was a little bit closer than it should have for the was, first half of the game, at least. Yeah, it was. I mean, the and Eagles then it turned into a blowout. So, Eagles, the Eagles on offense only have like four, four of their opening day offensive starters started yeah. that game on Sunday. They're just so injured. If and anyone needed a first round buy. It was it was Philadelphia, but they were in no chance it's, to get that. It's amazing that they won nine games with how injured they were, or were and are. And then there were two incredible, well, two two other games in the NFC. One of them was an incredible game, and one of them was a surprising game to um, uh, finish up the playoff picture. One was in the noon slate, the Packers, with everything to play for again, like the Patriots, with a first round buy on the line, everything to play for came within a game-winning field goal away from losing to the Detroit Lions in Detroit, a Detroit bad Detroit team that had nothing to play for, almost went out there and beat the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the, it was a great comeback by the Packers in the second half to uh, even put them in a position where they could win with a game-winning field goal, and then they got it done. Boy, I mean, so the Packers uh, got into the two-seed there in the NFC. That's where they'll stay. Um but I don't know. I'm still not that. I'm still not that scared of the Packers. I said it before. I, I will say it again. I'm still not that scared of the Packers. They're good I'm not scared team. of them either. So if they, you look at, good. if you look at Aaron Rodgers's stats for this season, he has the worst uh, deep ball percentage of his career this year, and he has been severely underperforming in pat in uh, throws. Uh, over 15 yards. So most of his passes are kind of the dink and dunk type like Tom Brady has been working with for the past couple of years. Their only deep threat is Tom, is uh, Devontae Adams. So if any team sees that, they crowd the box to uh, shut out Aaron Jones, and then they double cover Devontae Adams. Who are they going to? Alan Lazard now? Un, un, like For an NFL player, unproven. And it's... It seems on paper really easy to stop the Green Bay Packers. They don't really scare me. The only thing that kind of scares me in the NFC is having to go to Lambeau Field and deal with that weather. Yeah, that would be the big thing. And, I mean, you've still got Aaron Rodgers, who's still one of the great generational quarterbacks. Um, so, like, that's obviously – he could obviously just go off and beat you. Just, I mean, just like Russell Wilson against Seattle could just go off. Yeah. and beat you but um so there's still that but I don't think I think the Saints are better than them 
I think the Seahawks are probably better than the Packers too, though the Seahawks also won a lot of close games. I don't know. I'm not. I'm still not scared of the Packers. Maybe and the make 49ers me... are obviously better than them because they embarrassed yeah. them earlier this season. Yeah. Maybe they'll make me eat my words, but I'm still just not that scared of them. The other game in the NFC that had the big playoff implications was the NFC West title game between the Seahawks and the 49ers. And man, the end of that game showed how football could be a game of inches. First, um, the I don't know who it was. Was it? Was it Metcalf who caught a ball, yeah. got tackled at the one-yard line, right, with like a minute left, right, first and goal at the one for Seattle. They get up, they spike the ball. They bring in uh, Marshawn Lynch, presumably to hand it to Marshawn Lynch at the one-yard line to uh, send him to the NFC West crown. They take a delay of game, inexplicably. They weren't even lined up at the line of scrimmage when they take a delay of game. Backs them up, two incompletions. Then on fourth down, they literally get tackled – the, on replay, you can see the ball is like an inch, literally an inch, from breaking the plane of the end zone. Instead, he's down at basically the one-inch line, and the 49ers end up winning that game and winning the NFC West and taking that number one seed, relegating the Seahawks to the five seed. So, like I said, the Niners are the one, the Packers are the two in the NFC. The three seed is the uh, New Orleans Saints who would have gotten the first round by had Seattle won that game. Um, four seed, the Philadelphia Eagles, five Seattle Seahawks, and six Minnesota. Minnesota will go to New Orleans in the noon game on Sunday, and the final of Wild Card Weekend will be the Seahawks at the Eagles. Uh, it'll, be a, time it'll be slot. a fun rematch with the uh, Vikings and the Saints. Every time those teams meet in the playoffs, something insane seems to happen, right? Yeah. 2009, Bounty Gates, too many men in the huddle. 2018, 2017, Minneapolis Miracle. Every time these teams seem to meet, something insane happens. So we'll have to see if something insane happens again. But on next week's episode, we will inform you on everything that happened in the NFL's wild card weekend. But for now, Wyatt is yelling at us again that we went over time on a segment. So I suppose we should move on to the segment where I get to talk some more because I talk a lot. Has anyone noticed that I talk more than anybody else at the end of the podcast? How did all of my stuff get backloaded to the end of the podcast? I don't know. I'd like to take some of it over, but you never give any of it. fine. You come up – see, all these segments are mine because I came up with them all. If you come up with a good idea for a segment, you can have the segment. But stupid rules, our weekly turtle tab, write that down predictions, they were all my ideas. That's why they're my segments. No, you have no comeback for that. You should let me I, I appreciate that. You should let me have I'm just that. I'm just gonna give you that that little time to contemplate everything. Because you I like to contemplate. To, I don't need to contemplate. I do like to contemplate, but I don't need to contemplate this. Because if there's one thing that I know, it's rules. And the rule we're going to talk about, we're going to stick with the NFL. Because at the end of the regular season, what you also found out is exactly what your team's schedule will be for the 2020 season. Who will you be playing at home and on the road? Um, you don't know dates and times yet, obviously. Those will come out a lot later. And who you play when. But, um, so your stupid rule for the week is about NFL scheduling. So here's how a team's schedule, um, is determined. So first of all, 16 games, six of them are always played, um, against your division, right? Three at home, three on the road. So there's six games right there thrown out easy. 
Next, we're going to talk about a team from the other conference. So each year, each NFC division gets paired with an AFC division on a rotating basis. So once every four years, you'll be paired with the same division in the other conference, and you will play every team in that division, two at home, two on the road. And every four years, right, that switches. So let's say in so in 2019, the NFC North played the, uh, the AFC West, right? And the Vikings played in Los Angeles and in Kansas City. So that means in 2023, when those divisions are paired up again, the Chiefs and Chargers will come to Minneapolis and the Vikings will go to Denver and I guess now Las, Vegas. Las Vegas, but before it was Oakland. So, right. So that's how it works with the, um, so there's four more games. There's 10 of your 16 games right there. Next, um, each, each division is paired with one whole division in its own conference. So that's going to go on a three year rotation. Um, with each of those divisions with, again, the same thing where if one, one year you play that team on the road, um, three years later when that division comes around again, it'll flip and you'll play them at home. So it's only a three-year rotation because, right, there's only three other divisions in your conference instead of four because your division is one of them. Anyway, that's four more games. So that's 14 games. So that leaves two more games. And this is where strength of schedules can differ within divisions. Because the last two games are decided, you play um, teams from the other two divisions in your conference besides yours and the one you're playing everybody in based on where you, based on the standings from the previous year. So if you finished first, you'll play the first place team in the other two divisions, one of them at home, one of them on the road. Um, Same thing with, um, and so second place would play second place in those two divisions, third place, third, fourth place, fourth. Um, and that is just um, how it goes. And something I saw, I'm not sure I didn't get time to verify this, but home and away there is somewhat determined alphabetically. I'm not really sure how that works. But um, yeah, so anyway, one of those games will be home. One of them, oh no, it wasn't those that are determined alphabetically. It's um, when you're playing the other division, it's who's at home, who's on the road, like the two Two teams that are alphabetically first will do one and alphabetically second in the division will do the other every year. That's how that's how they do that. But anyway, so that's how you get your NFL schedule. There will be quirks in that. Like, for example, the Chiefs these last three years have played the Patriots on the road for three straight seasons, right? That's possible because in the first year, right, perhaps it was their chance to play the Patriots' whole division. And yeah, that year happened yeah. on the road. And then next two years, both of them finished first in their division each year. So they played again, and it just happened to be those year two years where the AFC East would um, and the AFC West um, winners would both play at the AFC East, right? That just happened the way it works out. The Vikings are having the same thing with the Seahawks here last year, this year, and next year, where they're playing them on the road three straight years. There are quirks. But in the end, it creates a pretty a fairly balanced schedule. And this, I think, is one of the reasons why you see so much turnover in playoff teams, four or more teams every year new in the playoffs out of the 12-team field. It's because of, right, finishing second place gives you a huge schedule advantage or even third place, um, like some teams that made the playoffs this year did, gives you a huge scheduling advantage because you play 
a little bit of a, a, a softer schedule, right, with those two uh, other games. So it's definitely a bigger advantage to finish lower in your division as far as schedule the next year goes. So that is how the NFL schedule is determined. Check me on it. It's true. Moving on. I won't our- check you on that right now because, once again, Wyatt is yelling at us because we have reached our time limit for a segment. That was a long edition of Mike's Stupid Rules. But we also have another long edition today of another segment in our accountability section because we have... Accountability what? Segment. No. Or section. Session. There you go. Session. Yeah, very good. Session. Not section. Not segment. Session. Yeah. How many, how many do we have coming off today? I believe we have 11. Let's count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11, 12. I don't know. 10, 11, 12, somewhere like that. Predictions coming And in this edition, we find out that Mike can also not count. I'm a software Moving on. Counting's not a necessity. Anyway, yes, a lot of these came off the board with the end of the NFL season. I actually had no predictions come off the board. Wow, 11 predictions and none of them were mine. That's interesting. Um, anyway, yes, 11 predictions come off the board, most of them Kyle. Um, first, Kyle predicted that the Chiefs would have 3,000-yard receivers this season. They only have 1,000-yard receiver. Kelsey had uh, 1,229. Uh, and then Tyree Kill was the next closest at 860, and Sammy Watkins at 673. So... No 3,000-yard receivers for the Chiefs. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah, nah. Kyle predicted the Cyclones would average 7 yards per play. Um, this year, they ended up averaging 6.5 yards per play this year on ah, offense. Dang. Close, seven. but no cigar. Yeah, that sounds close, but really that's not. But it's not, really not. That's really not all that close, right? If Think about how many plays they ran. Think about how many more yeah. yards that is on the year. So for that, Kyle gets a... Man. Kyle predicted that the 49ers would win the NFC West and get a bye, which by literally an inch, they did do. So for that, Kyle gets a ding-a-ding. Ding-a-ding. Josh predicted that Alan Lazard would get two more TD receptions this year. He had a big one in the fourth quarter of the Packers' win over the Lions that tied up the game um, to give him his second since... Uh, third of the year, second since Josh made that prediction, since, you know, it was two more. He made it after he got the first. He's got three total. So for that, Josh gets a ding, 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 Kyle predicted that the Kansas City Chiefs would get a first-round bye because the Patriots lost to the Dolphins. They did. For that, Kyle gets a ding, 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 ding. Wyatt, um, before the Oklahoma, before the, uh, which game was that? Before one of the games, predicted that the uh, IC football team would run one more trick play this year. They tried in the bowl game, but they, did, they didn't actually throw the football on the wide receiver pass. So we're not counting that, Wyatt. No, it, I gonna know. Get a, you're going to get a nah. Nah. Uh, Josh, who had a really, really good, uh, good week for write that down prediction, predicted that the Packers would get exactly the number two seed, which they did, as we said. So for that, Josh could say, Ding 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 ding. Wyatt had predicted that there would be a safety in the Camping World Bowl. There was not. Though there was a safety in the Vikings Bears game on Sunday, but that's not what you predicted. So for that, you get a nah. Nah. Um, Kyle predicted that Clemson would beat Ohio State by 17. They beat them by what two? Two yep. is less than 17. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. 
and buy it bunted for a single saying Cyclones would false start less than seven times. I don't know if they false started any times. Maybe nope. once. Notre Dame. I think at started most of it. Yeah. I don't so, think we false started. Anyway, it was definitely less than seven. So yep. why it gets a ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. Last prediction to come off the board was that the Josh predicting that the Bears would beat the Vikings, which they did, but it was a game that the Vikings didn't care about. But nonetheless, it was a successful like that down prediction. So for that, Josh gets a ding 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 ding. That is the end of our long, long accountability session. That is all of them. That is all of them. So, Kyle, do you want to? That was a lot of Mike's voice. Yeah, now he wanna, gets to listen to my voice. Introduce, yeah, that's what I was gonna, uh, I'll just say. So my prediction is that there will be at least 70 points scored in the national championship game featuring LSU and Clemson. What's the over-under on that game? I think points. when I looked at is it – I think it was 65 when I looked it up. Let's hold on. It's not on my ESPN app. Um, I have it. Hold on. Pulling That's it up. a lot of points. It's, oh, it's 69 and a half. <laughs> well, for under 69 and a half. So, so basically that's, that's – That's like 50-50. Like, right. So but that's a single. A 50-50 yeah. prediction is by definition a single. Yeah. So. Single. <laughs> All right. So you thought you might get more out of that, but that's why I asked what the over/under was because I figured it would be right about there to give you a single. So, yeah, it'd be a high-scoring game. That, well, I mean, with how many points LSU put up in the holy cow LSU in the first all, half only against. I turned off that game in the first quarter. The Big Twelve has looked awful in bowl games. Granted, it was a bunch of tough matchups, all six being underdogs. But Oklahoma making the playoff really screwed the Big 12 in bowl games because basically it bumped everybody up one bowl game slot higher than they probably should have been, which really just screwed the Big 12 in bowl games. Yeah. Anyway, back to the segment at hand. Um, my prediction is that three road teams will at least at least three road teams will win their playoff games this weekend. At least three road teams. Three of Buffalo at Houston, Tennessee at New England, Minnesota at New Orleans, and Seattle at Philadelphia. Three of them? Uh, I'm looking up. Does 538 have these predictions? According to 538, Buffalo has a 35% chance, Tennessee has a 31% chance, Seattle has a 31% chance, and Minnesota has a 23% chance. Well, I think Seattle is going to beat Philadelphia. I mean, the chance of three of those happening is pretty is low. Pretty, pretty dang on like I'm gonna it's say like triple. triple territory, isn't it? I'd I'd be fine with the triple, yeah. I'm gonna say triple. Yeah. Like if you if you look at the percentages of you're getting all three of those right, that's gonna be like low. I don't know what the number is, so. But that's gonna um, be low. Yeah, it's gonna be about five percent. Yeah, I was gonna say seven, but. Yeah, five to seven. Do... Depending on how the stati- the the probability of the three most li- yeah. Give or take. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. So that's still triple territory. I, oh, well, that kind of makes mine lame. Well, no, it doesn't. Let's let's bump it up. Let's say the Buffalo Bills are going to win the AFC. Oh. Yeah. Bills 
win the AFC, which means they go to the Super Bowl. They go yep. to the Super Bowl. So the Bills' chance of making yep. the Super Bowl is less than 1%. Homer. No. Is it really? According yep. to 538. According to 538, they are by far the worst team to have made the playoffs. Well, not by far, but they are like more similar to the Chicago Bears level than to even the next worst team in the AFC, the Houston Texans level. Heck, because they they have to if they win their first game, the Denver Broncos than the Houston Texans. So <laughs> if they win happen. their first game, they have to go to Baltimore. Yep. It, okay, that's if New England wins. Otherwise, then they have to go to Kansas City. I I'm that's like grand slam, but home run. So yeah. same thing. Yeah, that was home. the point. Home run for Wyatt. I was going to make a safety prediction because I wanted something stupid because that's all I'm doing this season is write that down. But there will be five safeties bit. this weekend five in the safeties. wild card games. There will be two one-point safeties this week. You still have a one-point safety prediction on the board. I you. do, and it's it's still possible. It is still possible. Do we have anything from Josh to put up on the board this Don't. week? Don't. He did not answer my message. Did he read oh. my message? No, he didn't even read my message. Oh, so. well. He must be busy tonight. Well, he missed. That's a darn shame. He had a good week. He should. He could have kept his role going. Yeah. He could have got that double slot, so then we'd have another single, double, triple home run type of yeah type of prediction segment. But he didn't. So he has like only one more prediction on the board right now. Everything else of his is off the board. Really? Yeah. If I look at my handy dandy spreadsheet. Your handy dandy spreadsheet. Well, since we added a couple of things to that spreadsheet, that means we have concluded the write that down prediction. They haven't actually been added to that spreadsheet yet. I do that. I do that. Yeah, I'll do that next let's Sunday. Just, let's when just we roll with the. Oh, but they okay. haven't been added to the spreadsheet. I do that next since week. Since we wrote down. Well, your technicality <laughs> screwed up the end of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> at the end of the podcast. And Kyle I'm spoiled this... the ending for you. Disappointment. <laughs> disappointment on that what's a what's a synonym for a bombshell aren't you this like and on that cannonball <laughs> on that cannonball this is the end of the episode episode 62 thanks so much for listening this far and we hope to see you again shock. next shock is a synonym for bombshell a shock Oh, on that on that shock, that doesn't work though. Revelation, jolt, on that shock wave maybe. A surprise. shock wave is better than a shock. That surprise. Bump, punch, reversal, setback, shock, blow. On uh, that flash, blow. Collision, concussion, impact. Jar, jerk, jog, jump, kick, lurch, percussion, percussion, <laughs> percussion, and apparently. <laughs> And on that percussion, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks again for listening. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.